Okay, well, we're live with uh, End Times for Dummies, Lesson 3 on Ezekiel. Before we get started, I've got a timeline up here on the whiteboard. And I have six items to put on that timeline. The first is the Anti-Torah Man. The second is the 70th week, or the gap, if you will. And the third is the covenant for one week. We know that in the middle of that one week, the sacrifices are stopped. The fourth item is wonders in the sky. That's the sun and the moon and the signs in the heavens, if you will. And the fifth one is Elijah the prophet. And the last or sixth one is judgment on the nation. So I wonder how you would put these in order on the timeline. We have the timeline from the, uh, from the textbook. We have the diaspora all the way on the left. We have the millennium almost all the way to the right. And then the olam haba, or the world to come, all the way at the end on the right. So where does the anti-Torah man go? Is he before the 70th week? During the 70th week? Or after the 70th week and I would uh, I would submit maybe maybe I'm wrong but that the anti-Torah man would be before that 70th week or the covenant so we're going to just put an A sometime after this diaspora so that anti-Torah man is going to arrive on the scenes we'll read later uh, and he'll have a slick tongue and be able to speak and so on and convince many. But at some point here, uh, he's going to make a covenant with the people of God. So I'm going to put, and your timeline may differ, I'm going to put the C for the covenant with the many for one week after the anti-Torian. So I've got an A and then I've got a C. And then that covenant kicks off that 70th week that we've had in the gap. So there's our 70. A, then C, then 70. Again, yours may differ, but uh, just to give you an idea of where I'm at. Uh, next, we've got the last three wonders in the sky, those signs, Elijah the prophet, and the judgment on the nations. And I would... Um, submit that uh, sometime before the end or before the day of the Lord as it were we would have those wonders in the sky remember it says that that is the portent or sign of the coming of the Lord it's not the coming of the Lord but the sign of the coming of the Lord so we've got those wonders in the sky but we know that Elijah must come before the Lord He's the uh, harbinger. He is the one crying in the wilderness. So we've got Elijah before the wonders in the sky. And then, of course, um, when the Lord returns, we have the judgment on the nation. So to recap, these six items I have on my timeline as A, C, 70, E, W, J. So, to flesh that out, we've got the anti-Torah man first. 
Then the covenant for the week. We know in the middle he stops the sacrifices. That is the 70th week. So the 70 comes next. Then Elijah the prophet before the coming of the Lord. Then we have the W for the wonders in the sky that precede the actual coming or advent of Messiah. And then finally, the judgment on the nations as he makes war with the enemies of God. So that should cover the first two lessons. And that's uh, pretty much what your timeline should have. If yours differs, let me know. Otherwise, we'll move into lesson three for Ezekiel. So Yehezkel, Ezekiel in Hebrew, prophesied during the Babylonian exile. If we take a look at uh, Ezekiel 37, we've got a reason for God's miraculous work on behalf of his people. So let's uh, take a look at that together in Ezekiel chapter 37. Let me bring that up on my Bible. Right near the end of the book. The hand of the Lord was upon me, brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. This is the dry bones passage. Very famous. Bones come together. They're rattling all around. And from the four winds we get breath in verse 9. Breathe on these slain that they may live. So I want you to make note that these are not just dead Jews. We know that they're, uh, they're Jews. He's prophesying over the bones, right? And uh, it's the graves of his people. So we need to you know, come to grips with the fact that they didn't just die. They were slain. These these guys were killed. And, verse 10, they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Son of man, verse 11, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So, if we read through to 14, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then, here's the reason, you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. So that's the reason for the, uh, for the resurrection of these bones. That they will know that he is the Lord. He has spoken. Hello, Joshua. Hello. So are we live and running here? We are. Hello, everyone. Yes, indeed. Ah, yeah, I, I was, was like worried that I, was, I came without knowing that it was canceled or something. It wasn't canceled, you're just late. Well, oh, no, I was out I was outside. Really waiting as we began. Alright, so I'm in the midst now. That's what's gonna so happen a bunch of people at the end too. They're outside. It should be inside. Thanks for that, yeah. So there's our uh, six points in a row from the first two classes. And there's the beginning of Ezekiel in thirty seven and the reason why God is raising his people from the dead. Outstanding. So, we are in uh, Ezekiel 37, now 15 through 28. If uh, somebody wants to start to list those many 
blessings that God will provide for his people. We haven't talked about when this is, but uh, certainly there, uh, it's going to be after the resurrection of his people. So back to the timeline that we were working on earlier, we should take a look at, and you'll see this next week in the recap, the resurrection of the Jews. I'm sure it's probably going to include more than just the Jews, but that's what we're talking about right now. So, what are the blessings that he's giving them? We'll pick up in uh, Ezekiel 37, 15. You got that? Gregory, you got that? I do. 15? Yeah, so uh, 15, you want to just read that, or you, just, or you want to grab some of those things there? We're looking 15 to 28. Um, in order to uh, mm -hmm. grab those guys. It's, well, that's actually the end of the chapter, yeah. Okay. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah and the people of Israel associated with him. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim. I like that stick. And all the house of Israel <laughs> associated with him. And join them one to another into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. And when your people say to you, Will you not tell us what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am about to take the stick of Joseph that is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel associated with him, and I will join with it the stick of Judah and make them one stick, that they may be one in my hand. When the sticks on which you write are in your hand before their eyes, then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be over them all, and they shall be no longer two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all, their, all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever, and David my servant shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the names will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel, when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Amen. So it's a bunch of blessings. You, just, you know, you see them, right? Um, what, are, what are some of the odder ones that you, you wouldn't think? I mean, obviously, he's going to take the people of Israel from the nations, so the exile, the diaspora... Oh, I took it up, do I? can't read The diaspora is, uh, you know, at the beginning of all of our timelines, this is a, a point of reference, but the diaspora will be no more, right? So we've got, oh thanks, now we've got a path, right? Um, so the diaspora is done. He's going to gather his people together, and they're going to be in the land, and just like we're reading in this portion by uh, Lech, right? That uh, the, the time, or the the land that he gave to his servant Jacob, where your fathers lived, 
they shall dwell in that very same land. And they will dwell there forever. That's, that's an amazing promise. That, that means we don't need a nation of Israel to kind of come out of dust again or you know, that there'll be another diaspora or anything like that. They will live there forever. So, um, the, um, the, the passage to me, I don't know about you, to me it just reminds me so much of the promises that God gives to Moses in the Exodus. Mm. The four I wills. Mm -hmm. And even though this is more than four, the, the language, just the rhythm of it just reminds me. Yeah. I will take the children yeah, of yeah. Israel from among the nations. I will gather them from every side. I will bring them to their land. I, I will it. make them into one nation. Excellent. Yeah. Um, you just kind of get that, that idea over and over again. I will save them. You know, I will purify so, them. So, so, so tell me, I agree with you 100%. Is it a different promise? Is it a different blessing? Is it a no, different thing? It's, or it's, is it actually just now? It's yeah. a, I would say maybe a, a fleshing out or expansion on it because he says he talks about I'll be they'll be to me a people and I'll be to them a God. Yeah. It's a blessing in Exodus, and this begins to go through because we have history now. Lists the fact they're no longer going to serve idols. Right, right, right. No longer they're not going to be divided anymore. No longer in exile. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, just to be clear for those who are listening online and you know perhaps living by Um I see it as exactly the same promises he gave to Moses, just coming to fruition. Not in part and parcel here and there, but entirely. Hmm. That what he told Moses is actually now going to happen. They, they went awry, but he brings them in, and he will do all these things. Did you notice the movement of the throne? My dwelling place, verse 27, shall be with them. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. The whole Ichabod thing, where he, he's, he's in their midst. He's got his sanctuary in there when they're in the wilderness. And they, they blew it. He left. And I thought the part that was most interesting is the, uh, the reappearance of David. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My servant My David, David, David be shall be king over them. But now, uh, we open this, uh, this chapter in, uh, in uh, Lesson 3 here. By reminding everyone that, uh, where was that? Yeah. David was king of Israel before the Babylonian cap captivity. Yechezkel, or Ezekiel, is is prophesying during the Babylonian captivity. Hundreds of years later after David. You betcha. So David's dead, gone, buried, the whole deal. And yet, David shall be king over them. So, um, David lives forever. And they shall have, yeah, they shall all have one shepherd. I think this is important, though, and, and not just because of the division between the sides. I think that's something relevant, but the if sides. you look at uh, Joseph, Ephraim, and but even just the, the unity, I mean, you know, there's a, the old joke, you know, two Jews, three opinions, that right. whole idea that yeah. um, there is good. There's a lot of good in the debate, the discussion, and disagreement in the Jewish community because it helps them to um, flesh out and, and, and bring together different perspectives on, on who, what God wants. And, and, and be this, able to defend that to other people. Right, absolutely. And they, are, and they are very good at being united in the face of anti-Semitism and opposition and so forth. Or 700 rockets in a day. Right, exactly. From Gaza, yeah. But there's, there is a lack of unity. Yeah. There, there is. And I think it's... Um, the idea of having one ruler it really stands out. I remember being in Israel one time and looking at the election box 
And in America, we have like a, a piece of paper or whatever. You check little bot, dots or whatever else, and hanging yeah. chads and so forth. <laughs> in, in Israel, they at the time they had like this. Um, it's like you, had, you like picked up the piece of paper you wanted to cast, whatever, and you dropped it in there. So, um, uh, uh, so I look at the box full of pieces. Of there had to be like seventeen different political parties you could vote for, maybe more. We're used to two, maybe three, but they were so many different options and. And some of them, you know, are the big, big, powerful ones. And other sure. ones are like, well, I believe in legalized marijuana, and that's like all they do. So, you know, well, well, we've, you know, you've, you taught us when you came back that no, no one party actually does rule there. Right, they have to they make couple it together. Yeah. So yeah. the idea when you talk about one king, that's shocking. This, especially in the climate that exists today, this would indeed be a sign of the end. I mean, mm -hmm. you see one person leading them, like realistically leading them, not yeah. just technically their leader for now until they kick him out, but really king. It's a, it would be a big deal. Um, and of course, David uh, may be literal. It could also be a title sure. of some sort because, of course, you have the son of David and the Davidic line is where all the legitimate kings come from. So that, um, that raises interesting Surely, questions about how Surely that it could refer to the Messiah. Absolutely. The son of David. Yeah. Sure. Um, or... Since we're, we've seen <laughs> resurrection. The resurrection of the Jews, I mean, it could literally be David. But I, I do think that, uh, you know, we probably don't, since in America, praise God, we actually do elect our leaders and they are representatives and so forth. We here don't live in a monarchy and we actually left that 200 some odd years ago. So we're, we're enamored by it, I see in the, in the news, but we don't have a monarchy. And quite frankly, neither does Great Britain, <laughs> right? They've got a parliament and all mm -hmm. of that and, and so forth. Um, but here, to your point, we've got a king, a singular king who will rule over them forever. There is no more voting. <laughs> it's not political parties. He's the king. And it, it, for me, it harkens back to Esther. It's, I get it. It's not Israel. But... To me, it's the clearest understanding that I get biblically of a king, a king who rules mercifully, one would hope, but definitely with power. When I think that, you don't get extend scepter or we're going to kill you. And I think that's why David is the reference here, whether it's physical, literal David or not. David is the, um, the personal encapsulation of the ideal monarch yeah. in Israel's history. Sure. I mean, Solomon's great, and he, but he really is reaping the benefits of the work that David did. Agreed. So, and, and he's, he's like the quintessential Israelite, right? right? He's not perfect, but he loves God with all his heart, and yea, though he sins, and I'm speaking about myself, you know, there's still hope, and he can still have a relationship with God, and God will forgive, you know, not that there's no consequence, but uh, yeah, uh, just a, a great a great man, a mm -hmm. great man who loves God. Good. All right, so the biggie. Yes. It's interesting that he's referred to as the prince as well. I, I didn't want to get into that because I really don't know where to go with it right now. Um, but I the, know prince shows up a lot in Ezekiel. It does, and it also showed up, if you'll recall, when we were back in Daniel, mm -hmm. right? Messiah the prince is the uh, antithesis of the anti-Torah man who shows up, right? Who's also called the prince exactly. of the people to come. Right, is the prince of the people to come, right, yeah. Um, 
lot of princes. People of the prince to come. That's something like. Yeah, that. whatever it is, right? So yeah, prince. Uh, but it's a, it, it's a, a title of a of a ruler, and it's a consistent term throughout the Hebrew. So. It's uh, actually. It's, oh, oh, wait, wait, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, it's just it's it is interesting because a prince implies a father or or another figure yeah. Yeah, or yeah. the king. Yeah. Right? In fact, a father. It's yeah. You know, and I so I think that's always really interesting. You know, obviously, like the the famous passage that we sing in the Messiah about the, his name being Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. Right. That prince is just it's one of those interesting titles where the person who is the prince is in a position of authority over everybody. Yeah. But it's an Except acknowledgement for. of. Another greater, another yeah. greater power. Yeah, that's a good point. Which is um, which Prince is Philip? Cool. Is it Philip? See the next guy, the old guy, Philip, right? No, Charles, Prince Charles, right? He's the guy, mm-hmm. but his mom's still in charge. Yeah, right. So there's there is someone else. But, you know, he's he's doing all the duties right now and just waiting for mom to retire. So yeah, you're right. You, you, it, if it you think about the language of Yeshua when he was here, it sounds very princely. Yeah, with, it's with always my father, referencing. I only his speak father. what my father exactly. Said. I do my father's will. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. That's a good point. I I would not have thought that without without you saying. I, I thought, kind of generically, a prince sort of implies a king, mm. or in the case of Great Britain, a queen. But yet another monarch that's above the prince. But to your point, prince really does imply a father. Mm-hmm. And that there's a father over the prince just fits so many places in so many ways. It's just so it's interesting, so amazingly cool. All right, so it's time for a, a little verbal challenge here. It's not Gog and, and, and Magog. It's Gog and Magog, just so we're clear. It's not Lot, it's Lot. It's not Gog, it's Gog. So, uh, so let's, let's take a look. Uh, Josh, you want to give us a couple of verses there out of uh, 38? Um, feel free to jump past and grab just some cool stuff. Um, okay, the word we're going, of the Lord came to me. Yeah, we're going, <laughs> uh, going down to 16, I think is where we're heading here. Saying, Son of Man, set your face toward Gog, toward the land of Magog, the prince. There's that word again. Yes, chief prince. Chief prince. The head of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy concerning him. And you shall say, So saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Gog, the prince, the head of Meshach and Tubal. And I shall unbridle you, and I shall put hooks into your jaws, and bring you forth. And all your army, horses and riders, all them clothed in finery, a great assembly with a compassing shield and buckler, all them grasping swords. Skipping down a little bit. Be prepared and make ready for yourself, you and all your assembly who are gathered about you, and you will be to them for a guardian. For many days you'll be remembered. At the end of the years you will come to a land whose inhabitants returned from the sword, gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been continually laid waste. But it was liberated from the nations, and they all dwelt securely. And you will ascend, like mist you will come, like a cloud to cover the earth you will be, you and all your wings and many peoples with you. So said the Lord God, it will come to pass on that day that words will enter your heart, and you will think a thought of evil. And you will say, I shall ascend upon a land of open cities. I shall come upon the tranquil who dwell securely, all the living without a wall, and they have no bars or doors. To take spoil and to plunder loot, to return your hand upon the resettled ruins, and to a people gathered from nations, acquiring livestock and possessions, dwelling on the navel of the earth. Sheba and Dedan and merchants of Tarshish and all its magnates will say to you, Are you coming to take spoil? 
Have you assembled your assembly to plunder loot, to carry off silver and gold, to take livestock and possessions, and to take much spoil? Uh, skipping down again a little bit here it says uh, take uh, 15 for sure yeah and you will come from your place from the utmost north you and the many peoples with you all of them riding horses a great assembly and a mighty army and you will ascend upon my people Israel like a cloud to cover the earth at the end of days it will be and I shall bring you upon my land in order that the nations recognize me when I am sanctified through you before their eyes O Gog okay so uh, I think one thing oh, go ahead well I was just going to say um, you didn't do 17 and 18. Oh, sorry. You do 17 and 18 because I think they're important. Absolutely. So said the Lord God, Are you he about whom I spoke in ancient days through my prophets, the prophets of Israel who prophesied in those days many years ago to bring you upon them? And it will pass on that day when Gog comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, that my blazing indignation will flame in my nostrils. Okay. In verse 17, funny little commentary from Rashi. Uh, there's a couple different questions about which prophets prophesied about Gog and Magog since... I haven't read them. Um, other than here. Other than here. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a tradition that it, uh, when it says um, there's many days ago, there's there's apparently a reference to two somewhere. In that maybe, uh, uh, I'm not sure. So that maybe Yamim is like plural. Anyway, mm -hmm. so they reference um, that it's the two guys who were still in the camp when the oh, Spirit of God comes Midad down. Midad and, uh, and, and Eldad. Yeah, yeah. The guys that didn't go up, but they prophesied the camp. In the camp. And Joshua's, Joshua's like, like we should make them stop because yeah. they, they should have been here. And Moses is like, oh, I wish everybody was prophesying. It's yeah. a great thing. Anyway, so this is that they're the ones who prophesied about Gog and Magog. Really? That's cool. Mm -hmm. That's, That's cool. very cool. But I think this is an interesting passage. There's a lot of speculation about who these nations are. Um, well, we have only one clue for sure, other than the Persia cushion put thing yeah. earlier. But what's what's the thing that appeared at least twice in there? North, exactly. Mm -hmm. So they're coming from the north. So they're they're moving presumably south towards Israel, right? Which is really realistically, if you look at the history of Israel, where all of the enemies basically have come from, with the exception of um, Egypt, who never attacked. Never the only time, the only character that I think, well, the only time you feel like there really was a ascension from the south, so to speak, Antiochus Epiphanes comes back up but from he's, Egypt. But he's coming up from Egypt. But, but he's, he's from, from the, the north. north. Yeah, the villains are always yeah, from the north. They are. Um, and they, uh, and it's interesting though that the northern countries, so directly to the north of Israel right now, are Syria and Lebanon, and then um, further north. But those two countries are the, the, immediately to the north of them. Both of them have references. In the land, in, in the Bible, sure. Neither of them is Gog or Magog. Agreed. So whatever country we're talking about, it's something beyond that. So, so what's north of that? Well, you start getting into Turkey, Russia, um, parts of Europe, depending on what direction yeah. north you're going. Yeah, I, I think if you go due north, you're hitting Russia. Pretty much. You know, you gotta you gotta hang a little west to hit Turkey, whether you're just gonna cut off the edge of it, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, well, again, our our study, this this go round. Is not for the specifics, but for the sequence. Right. So, so here's here's the here's the crux of tonight's class. We went through and put these letters on there right before you guys got here, uh, from the previous two weeks, um, looking at Daniel and Joel. So we've got the anti-Torah man, and then we've got a covenant for one week, which of course is seventieth week. There is uh, our gap, and then sometime at some point we've got to have Elijah before we get the wonders in the sky, which are clearly portents of the Messiah coming, not the coming. And then 
presumably he comes, Messiah returns, or comes, depending on your you know, perspective, and then we have judgment on the nations. I personally am not seeing this in that. So where would you guys put this attack on what is very clearly a securely dwelling Israel. He goes through it twice. I say. think that's pretty pretty key. Yes. Um, and it says specifically, returned from the nations. So the last chapter about this return from exile, this battle can't happen until the exile is at least partly finished. Agreed. They're, they're dwelling securely. King David is over them. A prince... David is Potentially, we don't know if that's the same chronological order or not, I don't think, I suppose. But right. either way, they're already in the land. Exactly. So the, the diaspora is done, the exile is gone, and judgment on the nations, presumably that judgment has happened when the Messiah came. So I think we've only got two options. If the Messiah coming is what causes the judgment on the nations and the resurrection that we read about here in uh, chapter 37 of those dry bones then that would presumably kick off the millennium meaning that these folks coming from the north on those who are dwelling securely are coming after or at the end of the millennium that would mean the judgment on the nations could here or could be way over here. But nation seems to be a whole lot more than just Gog and Magog and anybody else who happens to show up with them, Kush, Persia, whatever. So what are your thoughts on that? If you're just going to sequence it, I think it comes after the J, but do you think it comes before or after the millennium? It's a difficult question, and we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but there is um, a certain degree of a lack of clarity in Revelation because there are two battles referenced. Yeah, yeah, we've got the Battle of Armageddon, and then we've got another battle. Sure. And, to, and you know, to re, to repay the, the benefit of teaching us Gog and Magog, it's Armageddon. Yeah, that's um, right, Armageddon. Yeah. Uh, so um, that and that conflict is also to the north which is what makes this one very difficult to place exactly, because you're right, you can go either direction, either side of the millennial reign. I, I think, which one would you lean towards if you had to? If you had to place it back? And why? You can jump in any time there, Schmedley. Well, I, that, that arrow is actually after the millennial oh, reign. Okay. Which, which obviously is not the case. Yeah. So we're talking... What does it have to, it can't be after the millennial reign? Well, how, could, how would that be possible? Why, there why? There certainly couldn't be a war going on in the Ulam Haba. Yeah, I, I do think he's got oh, a point. Oh, okay, that, at the end, at right. the end of the No, I, I, yeah, yeah, I meant so, after it. Yeah, I, I, but, you so know. if I, if I had to... You had to place your bet right now. If I had to place my bet, I, I would say that it was, it was the towards end of, the beginning. Towards the beginning of the millennial reign. Rather than the end. Right, rather than saying? the end, because the two things that you guys just mentioned about the fact that the Jews came from the nations and they're dwelling secure in their land, right, right. that in and of itself 
is enough for anyone to want to attack Israel. I'll grant you that. But tell me how that came about. Tell me how um, Israel came to be dwelling securely in their land. Did the Messiah return? It, it would have been so. Yeah. Okay. So the, the war that we've read about when he slays them with the breath of his mouth and all that and, 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 and kills them, I thought that kicked off the millennial reign. So are you implying, and I'm just trying to, you know, be the devil's advocate here. Are you implying that he comes back, kicks some, kicks some major butt, demands that they all come up and pay homage for Sukkot where they get no rain, especially Egypt, and then, while they're growing securely, these people who just got their butts kicked attack again? Yeah. Okay? What yeah, do you say? That's, that's where I'm, I'm, I would place right, my best. I'm, I'm fine with that. A thousand years is a long time. A thousand years is a long time. Um, dwelling securely would certainly be proven by then. Holy cow. Well, yeah, and, and, and talk about, you know, recovery from a major defeat. You're talking a thousand years is a long time. Yes. So I think the thing that the reason why I am inclined to put it at the end, mm -hmm. two parts. I think it could go either. Quite frankly, I think that if you look at, we'll get to Revelation later. I think there's a legitimate argument for both. But sure. I think that the reason why I'm inclined to put it at the end is, first off, um, this battle in Ezekiel feels final. It doesn't feel why, like. Why said Why said I got the same sense. Why said there, there is a. Um, this is a. This is a major event here. I mean, these nations that are coming upon them, he's talking about the entire you know, mountainside being covered. They're coming up like a cloud. We're talking about unbelievable numbers of people. They're saying they're, when, they, when they're wiped out, there's going to be you know, wood from their spears and whatnot to burn for years. You know, they're talking about having to bury these people for years, well, which gonna, is one reason why you might say it's not at the end, by sure, the way. Sure, we're, we're going we're gonna to read some of that in some future lessons. But, you know, yeah, to your point, your, your last point there, is, is it possible that in the Olam Haba we're actually going to be digging up radioactive bones and marking them with flags and waiting seven years? Well, maybe this is in year 993 of the uh, Okay, so rain. right near the end of the living. Okay, I'm with it. I'm with it. Um, okay. But anyway, the point is that, uh, so that, I think that's, I don't know. So like I said, there's argument for both. The thing about it that also stands out to me, though, is it says, I will draw you up. So God makes multiple references in both 37 that's, and 38. That's with, like, the hooks and yeah. the jaws and all that. Yeah, which is a very interesting reference because it sounds so much like, again, going back to Revelation, um, that the last final battle is, is instigated because... Hasatan is released, yeah. and he goes and he deceives he's, the nations. He's instigating he brings the them back. So, God, in in Jewish thought, Hasatan is not the uh, the, you know, the black king to God's white king on the chessboard. Right, right, right. Hasatan is um, a character in the story, yeah. character in the play, so to yeah. speak, who has a role. And his role, generally speaking, is to basically encourage humans to do what they want to do. And then turn around and accuse them for having done so. True. And so that, so in a sense, God bringing them up, and God letting this angelic being Hasatan instigate them 
is pretty much the same thing. Yeah. So that's why I see there's some parallels. But the fact that you have all this cleanup afterwards is a very good reason to put it at the beginning. Well, do we have cleanup after this one? After chapter 38? That's the whole end of it, right? I mean, you're talking about the cleanup of the bones and the burying and walking yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, walking all through. Is that, is that now? Yeah, that's now. It's so just, the beasts uh, of the field and all creeping things that creep on the ground and all the people on the face of the earth shall quake at his presence. Mountains shall be thrown down, cliffs shall fall, every wall shall tumble to the ground. What does that sound like? A really big earthquake. It sounds to me like the Lord just returned. I know. And then, There's a really then, big earthquake there too, right? He puts his foot on the Mount of Olives and he put his other foot somewhere else and kind of slides him apart. To, to that point too, that ends with then they will know that I am the Lord. Yeah. And, and that, we've seen that a couple That times. sounds like a kickoff to a, a millennial reign. I like as that. As opposed to, okay. it's been a thousand years and now they're just, now they'll know yeah, the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, so let, me, uh, let me just kind of take what both of you have said because I, I, I don't want to say which way I'm going here. Um, I like the, the kick butt because I just like the front end especially when we get into the back end of 38 here, the earthquake, and it seems to fit in with some of the other things that I've read about the coming of the Master. So if that's the case, the only thing that is the flying in the ointment is that Israel is dwelling securely. Because I'm under the impression that Israel is about to get killed, wiped out, and there might no flesh be saved, I'm quoting my Master, who said, you know, if I, if I don't come back, there might no, no flesh be saved. Because it's going to get so bad from the adversary you were just talking about hurting people and killing people at that point. So I don't, I don't see Israel dwelling securely at the beginning of the millennium or right, right before the millennium, right before his return. So that's the only fly I see in the argument there. Seeing it at the end, I like it. I like it a lot, but I'm thinking, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, buy into the whole the millennium is going to be in heaven and you know all that kind of weird stuff um, I do think that those are who are dead and I hope we'll see this in, in some future passages um, are raised with immortal bodies and that being the case then the folks that are on the planet when he comes back will grow old and die they will have children presumably and as you said, a thousand years is a long time. And at that, the end of that thousand years, you may have people that have absolutely no idea how much butt he kicked when he came back. And therefore, he could... Well, the, I mean, Israel's now dwelling securely, and God causes, with the jaws and the hooks and the whole thing, to get these guys to come down from the north, and they don't... They've never seen anything like that. We don't even need people to have an entire generation to go by before a nation <laughs> can <laughs> For forget yeah. what happened. I mean, you, you have World War I, where the Germans are obliterated. years ago. Obliterated, yeah, it just ended 100 years ago. Um, obliterated, and in le like two decades, the Germans are not only back, 
and wanting more taking over the world they're actually the most powerful nation in the group that's right so by the, the way uh, gun control didn't work there at the treaty of versailles <laughs> yeah. uh, neither did missile control for that matter yes exactly but, right. uh, but the point being is that um yeah you don't need that much time no you really but don't if you, you had need... that much time oh yeah you wow. you're talking about it so, the whole things can change I'm, I'm seeing it on both sides i could, I do I could think, argue either. i do think also just to get back to what I earlier there is such a um an Egypt Exodus feel to this story as well. That whole, um, so the, the Exodus is this moment of victory for Israel, but it's short-lived. for God. And vindication for God, but it's short-lived because within days, the Egyptians have chased them to the Red Sea mm -hmm. and it looks like it's all over. Right. And the Egyptians have them pinned against the sea and they've yeah. got their army trapped. Sure, that's the yeah. Right. But the thing that's interesting about that is there is a, um, is that there's this reference in Exodus that says that the that Pharaoh was told, and if you read the passage, it certainly appears like God makes it a, it makes it look like the, the Hebrews are lost by having them yeah, going through the passage, yeah, yeah. and yeah. and so there's one tradition that the person who told Pharaoh was God, you know, like God is passing this message along. So it's almost so this and the idea this so I will. Drawing them out. Yeah. If you see oh, the like drawn it. with like the it. drawn yeah. with hooks imagery, mm -hmm. I don't know personally. I'm I go to Job talking about Leviathan and and he put hooks in his flesh and whatnot and mm -hmm. um, uh, make him chew, make him go where you want him to go with a bridle. And that uh, Egypt is also compared. Pharaoh is compared to like the great serpent. He is a mm -hmm. he is kind of a Leviathan character. Mm -hmm. So the point is the as we like to say what the the the, the uh, the events of the fathers portend to the mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. It's like you see this Exodus story and the miraculous rescue from exile, and then this miraculous victory over the most powerful enemy, uh, leading to, you know, real eventually a promised land experience for Israel. Right. Well, kind I, of I seeing the same I think thing you here. You skipped one, right? I mean, you've got the an ultimate victory then, but you got a right what appears to be a victory, and then they get caught by the sea, and then you've got. A real good victory, but then you've got an ultimate victory as he brings them into the land. Right, right. right. So, but I think, but this this feels and uh, this reminds me so much of that whole account, mm -hmm. um, which again makes it feel final. It's so, kind of hard to believe that after this dramatic but, but story. We, but we already know there's two battles. We do. You, you no, we do. We, we absolutely do. But it feels, I don't know. The thing about it is interesting. I think that I think one. Well, there. Well. Not to get too carried away, Revelation kind of makes it sort of clear on what what John thinks is happening here. But mm -hmm. um, there also is the factor of the leadership because Gog is the prince of Magog, um, or I got that backwards. No, Gog is uh, Gog is the prince, right? Yeah. yeah. It's possible that Gog is um, the anti-Torah man. He's the land of Gog. Of the land of Magog, is the chief prince of Meshach. But he does seem to be presented as a separate character, which is interesting. Dope. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the anti-Torah man character is clearly the leader pre-millennial reign that we got that from Daniel, right? He's Agreed. the one who's causing all the problems. So you're saying that Gog is not he? I, I think there's a good case to be made that he's not. Because okay. the Bible doesn't describe him that way. Right. The Ezekiel prophecies yeah, describe he's, he's him... He's just a big prince. Right. They describe him in a much more militaristic fashion mm -hmm. and, and economic. I mean, his, his motivation is, is plunder. Yeah. It's not, yeah. uh, not anti-Semitism. In fact, it's really interesting because um, uh, it would fit in 
really well, again, not trying to get figure who's who, but it fits in really well with a country like Russia because it's almost like they have no beef with the Jewish people. Right. They just want whatever their stuff is. Right. And that's kind of, that actually is why I was thinking it was towards the beginning because that's what I was saying where it's like the minute that Israel has a, a success, Messiah returns, all of a sudden they're dwelling securely in the land. It's like that's the very minute that an envious nation would of the plunder would, would jump on it that way. Okay. You know, like if that's, that was just how, how it, it felt yeah. like it was them trying to capitalize on what just happened as opposed to them been sitting on yeah. a successful thousand year old Israel. Sure. Well, mil- militaristically, the best time to attack would be when everybody just finished with an attack. And, you know, they're still in disarray and they're trying to pick up bodies and they've already used all their ammo and stuff like that. So, all right. So for those listening uh, online, the answer is clear that this battle occurs after the judgment on the nations. And that's all we have to do for now. Whether it's at the beginning or the end of the millennium, Tonight is not necessary to know because we're looking at sequence and right now this seems to be the end point of our sequence so far. You both agree? Mm -hmm. Of the things on the board that we've gone through, those six things, this battle appears to be after all of that. Yes? It feels to be like the the end of the conflict, I'll put it that way. The end of the conflict. It is a conflict. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like there doesn't, it feels like the final conflict. Well, if it's like the final conflict for you, because you think it's at the end of the millennium. No, 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 but either way, either way, you place it. It feels like it's a there's a finality to it. Okay. All right. So, um, thirty-eight seventeen to thirty-nine twenty-five is uh, is a long, long passage. Um, but I want to pull out just a couple of things here, uh, if you'll just follow along with me. Um, in verse 21 of 38, I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and bloodshed, I'll enter into judgment with him. I will rain upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. I love how that is like almost like a, it's like a best hits of God's uh, wars with Israel's enemies. I mean, pulling um, out the hailstones, the hailstones, the, the sulfur, the fire. <laughs> you've got the uh, you've got them fighting against each other, which is another reference. Right, we see that we see uh, that multiple times. Series, yeah. um, you've got this giant earthquake. I mean, basically, it's, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, you've kind of got like it's like uh, all of these happening at once, um, which is interesting that it's not just one. It's yeah. like it's not good enough. It would have been okay if we just had rocks fall on them, but right. they've got to the be. Deal. There's got to be fire, and there's yeah. got to be you know. Yeah. Good. All right. So uh, I'll turn your body, drive you forward, bring you to the othermost parts of the north, and lead you against the mountains of Israel. Um, Thirty-nine seven, and my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned any more. So this I think leans more towards where you were coming from, Gregory that he's putting an end to this this mindset, to this um, 
profaning and we're leading into a millennial reign. Um, those who dwell in the cities will go out and make fires of the weapons, burn them, shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, uh, make fires for seven years. Uh, we're going to verse 25. So um, on that day I will give to Gog a place for burial in Israel in the valley of travelers east of the sea. Um, seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Again, that leads me towards the, the front end of the millennium, not the back end. I, I get it. It could work either way, right? At the end of seven months, they'll make their search, looking for human bones, put a little flag on it. And then we have, uh, as Joshua alluded to in his class, um, on the uh, Messiah that uh, gather, speak to the birds of every sort and all the beasts of the field assembly come gather for all around to the sacrificial feast. Um, shall eat of the flesh and drink blood of the mighty and the princes of the earth and so forth. So I will set my glory among the nations and all the nations shall see my judgment that I've executed and my hand that I've laid on them. The house of Israel shall know that I'm the Lord their God from that day forward. And the nations shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they dealt so treacherously with me. But I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their transgressions and um, To me, it, it kind of leans the, the balance towards the beginning of it because I just don't think in the Olam Hara we're going to have nations. I think the real question is just is the is the millennial reign ending and then we have so to speak and then we have an immediate transference to the Olam Hara or is there a brief you know, gap period. Mm -hmm. We're not talking that long. Sure. Um, but seven that, years. That may possibly fit in there. I don't know. It's an interesting question. The, um, there's, there's nothing that I can think of biblically that says that there's no time after the millennial reign for the Olam Haba. It's just not, it, I just don't know of any reference to it. Right. But it's, it's not that it couldn't be. Because the, um, the, the final battle in Revelation is described as occurring after the millennial reign. Right. Um, it does seem to be rather quick. But um, but it doesn't go into a whole lot of detail. It is interesting that the Gog and Magog are referenced in that right. in that passage, exactly. which, which leads towards the end. The end. Yes. yes. Um, this though, again, going back to the second earlier, the nations will know. The nations will know. They will know that I am the Lord, and so forth. These are references going back again to the Exodus story over and over and over again. God says, "And you will know, and the, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord." And at the end, you know, he's, I will bring the, you know, they're, I will defeat them, and you will know that I am. And it's like there's this... Um, that's, that's a desired result. That's a desired in result. In both cases. Yeah, and yeah. so you really get that same imagery here. And it's interesting that it's an exile from the north, actually, that is... Um, is, is Ezekiel or Jeremiah that talks about that as being... They said that when it occurs, it'll be, even, it'll be so great you'll forget about the Exodus. Mm. It'll, it'll, it'll overshadow the Exodus. Yeah. And, and that idea... Um, uh, again, you see that sort of this parallel here um, between the beginning and the end, and I think that that's uh, it's helpful to kind of see that motivation. God also is judging them. I mean, in the Exodus story, you can very clearly see that He's judging Pharaoh and the Egyptians for their massacre of the babies in the Nile and so sure. forth. And clearly, and, this is and this is yeah, this is vengeance, and it's very interesting because it's uh, it's an, it's it's kind of like well, I guess if you you know any good vengeance story, um, 
you uh, it's not about the the the, bad, the the good guy just finding the bad guy and blowing him away. It's much better when that's he, a commercial, not a movie. Yeah, yeah, right. It's much better when when the when you know you find out afterwards the whole way through the good guy had set the bad guy up to think he was winning and then you know pull the rug out underneath right, underneath right. him. And that's basically what happens here. God God lures them out of their land to right. come to Israel. Right. Um, but it does seem to be punishment for what's occurred before. And if you read prayers, especially around uh, like Yom Kippur or um, some of the other uh, more tragic fast days and whatnot, over and over and over again, we're asking God to judge those who killed his people. Right. That and seems even, what's happening here. And we see the same thing in the, in the martyrs under the, uh, right. Right. Uh, the, the, um, the altar. Right? Yeah, Revelation. When will you... Uh, deal with the folks that have uh, done this to us. Okay, so we're not going to read Ezekiel 40 through 42. Um, did you get a chance to read that uh, at home about the temple? What's with all the chambers? Man, holy cow. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of rooms. And we got three rooms over here, but three rooms on top of those, there's three rooms over there. And, got, and the weirdest yeah. part is they, they get wider as they go up. How does that even work? I know, it. it's very cool. I think, aren't the windows like backwards too? Anyway, um, you should have seen, he measured from gate to gate, it's 100 cubits, he brought it to the south gate, he measured the south gate, he's, measure, he's measuring all over the place. Um, it's huge. It is ginormous, and one understands um, hebraically here that um, to measure something and, and, to, and to do that implies an ownership, and that... It, this is yours, so you want to you want to know how big it is. And I, I mean, if if you just do a search for measure or measured or something, it, it's a, it's extraordinary. He brought me out to the nave and measured the jams. That's the that's the that's the wood on the side of the door. I mean, that's amazing. He's measuring everything. All right. The um, the Essenes were very fond of this passage. Um, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, I can't recall if it's this passage or it's actually like a um, extra biblical text based on this passage. But there's like a whole bunch of stuff about Ezekiel's temple, um, and and they, uh, you know, they they saw it as something that I guess they would build. Sure. You know, that was kind of the idea. So, um, and they were very much apocalyptic in, oh, in their yeah, in their approach to to um, and kind of feeling like the end was near or whatever. So. Um, it's very interesting. Cool. Well, yeah, right. Yeah, no, yeah. actually, yeah. a lot of comments. That was really but it's mindset. In, but it's interesting as we're talking about the end here. This temple structure has been associated with the end by Jew, various Jewish sects for a long time. Yeah. So, uh, and and rightfully so, I think. So, this third temple. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't either. But a couple things come to mind. Number one, Rambam said. Messiah's got to build a temple. Ezekiel says he builds the temple. Messiah builds it. And he uses the Gentiles to help him, which is pretty cool. It is ginormous. And it is extraordinarily hard to believe that all these measurements are for naught. If it's just a spiritual mindset to teach us a lesson about humility or something like that. Um, so I do, I do believe it'll be a physical temple. Um, I think that uh, it's, it's astonishing 
that uh, as you as you dug through chapter 41, over and over again, again, he's, he's just uh, measuring. And we get to uh, 4121. And uh, he says, uh, the doorposts of the neighbor squared and in front of the holy place was something resembling an altar of wood. Three cubits high, two cubits long, and two cubits broad. Its corners, its bases, its walls were wood. He said to me, this is the table that is before the Lord. The nave and the holy place had each a double door. The double door is had two leaves apiece, two swinging leaves for each door. The detail is extraordinary. So there's, there's not a there's not a palm tree after every chair. If there are two chairs between the palm trees, one face looking one way, one face looking the other way. It's amazing. So anyway, um, we got the thickness of the walls, the height of those, and, and all of that. I like to think that I have a very good imagination, and I was really struggling to picture this thing. I've, uh, I've read The uh, the Temple by Ed Edersheim, and uh, he goes through... The first two, his, his deal on the other one could be could be good. I don't know, but anyways, um, there is a separation between the holy and common, and all in all, what, what's what's the sense of the text? What's just when you're done reading, what do you think? Wow, can't even imagine. Beyond unbelievable. Right. I also like how practical it is. There's rooms for the singers. There's there's an entire like wing dedicated to the butchering tools. <laughs> you know, I I think it's really it actually it's kind of it's almost comical. It's mm -hmm. it, you know what it feels like. What it really feels like is it feels like a castle. The the the, the buildings, um, yeah. the the structure, the the extra space. It really has this feel of the king lives here and all of his attendants do too. And 43.6 Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. The house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their whoring and the dead bodies of their kings at their high places, by setting their threshold by my threshold and their doorposts be beside my doorposts. With only a wall between me and them, they have defiled my holy name by their abominations, and they have committed, so I have consumed them in my anger. Now let them put away their whoring and their dead bodies of their kings far from me, and I will dwell in their midst. Just like you were saying back to Exodus. Yep. I'm going to do Yeah, you, yeah, you got to take a shovel with you when you go to the battle. Are you kidding? The Lord your God walks in amongst you here, right here. Now you've got this amazing... Amazing place. So, um, we we see. I think um, from heaven to earth, His throne has been reestablished within Israel, as it was before, but now forever. It will never leave. I think that could be during the millennium, during the Olam Haba. I don't think it matters, but I think in the back end of Ezekiel that we're reading here is definitely on the right hand side of our timeline sequence-wise. Um, I think that uh, if we jump all the way to 47, we'll close with that. Um, if, uh, if you didn't get a chance to read it, to me, it was amazing. 
He brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from behold the threshold of the temple toward the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me by, by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out the south gate. Going eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits, led me through the water, it was ankle deep, measured a thousand, led me through the water, it was knee deep, and going, so on, and so on, it gets deeper and deeper. Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water becomes fresh. What does this remind you of? Uh, when Moses tosses the oh, tree. Even better. Even water. better. Yeah, that's the fresh, so, uh, bitter to fresh. But doesn't it remind you of the Garden of Eden? Oh, yeah. Right? With the waters flowing coming out, out of Eden? Tree, very many trees. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's unbelievable. And again, we'll see this again in Revelation, so these references exactly. show up there. Yeah, and some of them are, are, are spot on. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you have a garden. I don't know if you can imagine something bearing fruit every month. No. <laughs> <laughs> or not having to water it because there's a, a river flowing right by it. Yeah. So. I thought it was cool that it doesn't get rid of all of the salt. There's yeah. a reference that says the marshlands and whatnot will continue to be salty because, well, you need to still have salt mines. Right, yeah. Still got to yeah. do that. I think it's kind of funny how it doesn't heal everything. Um, all right. Our time is up. So um, I think it was good. Again, just looking for sequence. I feel good about it. Gregory, you want to close us in prayer, please? Sure thing. Avina Malkano, our Father, our King, what a privilege it is to study together and to learn and dive into your word. We pray, Father, that you would help us internalize the things that we've learned today in class and that we would take them with us as we walk on the way, as we lie down, and as we rise up, that we may grow ever closer to, to you and that we continue to desire to study and learn more and more that reveals your true character through your word. Mm. We pray, Father, that you would heal those that are sick and that you would bless this house for opening it up as a house of study. We are just so grateful for the many, many blessings that you've given us. And we pray that you would continue to bless the work of our hands as we go about mm. our week and as we are excited for your Shabbat even now. We pray all these things. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Thank you.